This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to Grief Relief. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, and my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, will not be able to be on the show today, so I am going to do the entire show. And we have got a really powerful topic today. It's on death of a dad and death of a parent. And it's been really interesting since we uh, have started our website. We have over a million people visiting our site right now. And so we've been able to kind of track uh, what they're looking for and what you're looking for. And we found that death of a parent is a very large search. It's actually our number one search, followed by death of a spouse and uh, then child loss, and then sibling loss. So uh, we're hoping to give the people the idea of some of the things that you can do and uh, some issues about having a parent loss. Well, we've got a great guest on today, Alicia Coppola, and she's written a wonderful book called Gracefully Gone. And it's based on her beloved fathers and her journals and chronicling their journey her dad got brain, brain cancer when she was 12, I believe. She can correct me when we get her uh, on. But I believe at 12, uh, her dad was diagnosed with a brain tumor and lived for years with the tumor in remission or whatever and kept a journal. And then Alicia then did her own journal in response to his journal, and it's turned out to be a great book called Gracefully Gone. And Alicia is an actress, and she can tell us some of the things she's been in, because I know you'll all be very impressed. I know one thing was Jericho, which I'd watched. And uh, welcome to our show today, Alicia. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really, really excited to be talking to you. I was looking forward to this all all weekend. Uh, Good. It's great to have you on. Well, I know you're back in the New York City area where Heidi lives, and... uh, and she's on the plane there, and we're hoping to get you on our television show. Oh, gosh, I would love to do that. To talk about the same topic. Well, where do you want to start? Tell us about your dad. Okay. Um, well, my father was kind of this amazing guy. He was, and I'm sure everybody says that about their dad. My, my dad was a real Pied Piper. Um, children loved him. Men loved him. You know, women wanted to be with him, and men wanted to be him. It, he was just—he <laughs> was an extraordinary guy. He looked like Montgomery Clift, and he was just—he was kind of magical. Um, and I remember, you know, thinking as a kid that there was just something really—I think I knew that my dad was really special. And uh, when I was uh, 12 years old, he um, he called my brother and I, Matthew, who was eight at the time, to the table. And uh, he told us that he had something in his brain that had to be removed. And I remember at that moment, um, I knew that, that uh, as May Sarton says, a terrible beauty was born. Uh-huh. I, I knew everything had changed. And instantaneously, my entire life was changed. Uh-huh. And... We, from 12 on, uh, and my brother, 8 on, everything in our home was about cancer. It just, it was about my father's, um, my father's illness and how to keep my father going. And um, ultimately, I was sent to boarding school, I think, so that I wouldn't be any more of a witness to what was going on. And then I went to college. My brother went to boarding school. 
Um, I think it was probably easier on my parents. But that must have been really difficult for you to be separated from your dad. It, it was. It was. But I also, I mean, I also knew that there was a method to their madness, which mm-hmm. I completely thought it was mad that I was being sent away from home. But A, I think it was too difficult for my mother to um, to handle. I was a very, uh, uh, I was not a happy kid mm-hmm. after my father was diagnosed. Um, I think had I not been sent away to boarding school, I would have ended up drug addicted, pregnant. I would have been a disaster. So it worked out. But yeah, and it worked out. I mean, it, it was it was an important thing that I was sent away, so that I could I could have my own space and and again not not witness anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think for my mom to be able to concentrate on my father, which mm-hmm. is what I think happens right. that the well parent needs to concentrate on the ill parent, um, and that's what happened. And then upon. My my father, you know, he, he, he began to die, and when he did begin to die is when I started to keep my journal. I came home from NYU. I had just graduated in June, and I came home in August. I moved back in with my parents, and I started to take care of my father, and that's when I started my journal. Wow, wow. And what did that do for you, journaling? Because we, we talk to people about journaling, and, and it seems to be something that, that's helpful to people. You know, I didn't know that that's what it was called, that it was called journaling, but um, I wrote a lot of poetry in college, and I wrote short stories, and um, I was always, you know, scribbling something. And I don't, I think one of the reasons why I kept the journal or the, or the main journal was so that I would just remember, mm-hmm. like, little things that went on during the day. Mm-hmm. Because, um, as you know, taking care, being a caregiver, um, much you could wake up at six o'clock and go to bed at you know midnight and nothing, and it was a blur because you're so concerned. Did you did you end up being kind of a caregiver with your mom with him or how did that? Oh go? yeah, oh yes, oh yes. No, I did everything. I bathed my father. I shaved my father. I I um I you know had to at one point you know uh, take care of his catheter. Mm-hmm. I had to you know empty the bags that were attached to him. I I did all of it. Wow. Oh, that's that's incredible. That's intense. Yeah, yeah, it, it was intense. I, I always like to boast now. I, I can brag about this, that I know how to make a bed with somebody still in it. <laughs> it's a very good talent to have. Right, right, right. So then uh, you were 21. Your dad died. Did he die at home? He did. He died at home um, on January 13th, 1991. Uh-huh. And were you with him? I was not. I went out to the kitchen. Uh-huh. Every morning I would go into the room and I would say, Hi, Daddy, I love you. And then I would go and, you know, have breakfast. Well, this particular day, I went into the room to call a a dear friend of mine, Ned, who was supposed to be coming out that day to tell him, you know, I wasn't really sure that he should come out. And as I was on the phone with him, my mother came in and said, hang up the phone, your daddy's dead. Now, how how did that strike you then? Were you disappointed? Or I don't know if disappointed is the right word, but did you, some people, like, uh, really wish they'd been with him to the point where it's kind of, they don't feel good about it. At the time, I didn't because I felt as though I was there the whole other time. I did everything else with him. Mm-hmm. Why, you know, why that moment? Mm-hmm. Why the moment? Why did he choose that moment just as I left the room mm-hmm. to go? Mm-hmm. But maybe, you know, I've, I, I've asked about, I've, I've asked it, I've asked it to clergy and I've asked doctors, and I think it's sometimes people, people need to wait 
for mm-hmm. you to like kind of leave them alone. Right. Maybe. Right. Yeah. So that they can just go on their own. Right. It, it's really interesting because I, I actually have a nursing background and it's interesting. I've always been interested. Many times people will ask family members to leave or they will die when they're gone. Sometimes they'll wait for them to come. I mean, it's it's so uh, fascinating, the push and pull of, of that energy. And when people decide to move that energy out, you know, is very interesting. Yeah. Well, I found that with when my dad, um, he he began in the beginning when he was dying, he would sleep more and more hours out of the day. It wasn't like he was in a coma, but he was just very deep, deeply sleeping. And the doctor said that he's getting closer to the other side. So when you talk about that push-pull of that energy, mm-hmm. he would get closer to that other side so that actually the temporal world wasn't as relevant to him anymore. It wasn't eating. He wasn't taking in any fluids. He was just kind of almost getting acquainted. I almost say it's like, it's, it's oh God, how, how do you say it? It's like, you know, crossing the street, you've got to wait for the traffic, so you're, you're going to put your foot out onto the curb, and then you come back, and then you may go a little further, and then you come back until you make sure that, you know, that the light is, is ready for you to cross, and then you can kind of dash across. Right. <laughs> I, think, I think that's right. There's more energy in that direction. Yeah, yeah and, and, and I think there's energy in the actual dying process. I mean, I, or, or not the process, but the actual moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there's got to be some kind I, of an energy sure. leaving. Yeah. How do you, you know, I know you said in your book that your family uh, grieved differently. Your mom, your brother, and you had a different response to grief. And I think that's really important that even within the family system, sometimes we talk about the family, you know, like there was some big unit, you know, having this grief together. And that's not the case, yeah, right? No, it's not. No, it's not the case at all. I, I say that. Uh, we were in, in an ocean, and my father was like the love boat. And my brother and my mother and I were on dinghies in the ocean surrounding him. We each went through the same experience of, of our father and my mother's husband dying, but we all handled it completely differently. Mm-hmm. And we didn't talk about it to each other. Now, to this day, have you talked about it? Because I'm interested, you know, you've got this book out and you're really, you know, putting it out there and talking about it. How is that for the family? And, and are your brother and mom talking about it? No, nobody really. I'm, my brother and I have spoken about it, obviously, throughout the years, um, especially since when, after my father died, my mother remarried. And on the day they married, he was diagnosed with acute myelitic leukemia. Oh, my And then goodness. he died. He died. Um, and my brother and I pretty much, again, were the caregivers, along with my mother. Not to the same extent as my mother was, but I was the one to pull the ventilator. Oh, my goodness. And um, so, yes, it's it's been a dialogue between my brother and I, but, you know, very um, stenographically, because it's almost as if we don't really need to use a lot of words to talk about it, because we both know what each other is feeling. Mm-hmm. My mother is different. My mother really never spoke about it. Um, and I actually think that my mom now um, is learning how to talk about it, is, mm-hmm. is learning how to, to deal with her grief all these years later, not only for my father, but for her mother who died a month after my father did, and then for her, her second husband. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I think that she's of a different generation, I right. think, 
that maybe didn't speak, didn't talk about it. They were very stoic. She's German, so she's got that kind of, you know, stoicism and strength, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to my father's family, who are a bunch of Italians and screaming <laughs> and crazy. You know, very emotional, very let's fling ourselves onto the casket. That was their side. My mother's side, nothing. It was very, very, um, just very quiet and very reserved. So, in answer to your question, we don't. I I don't really talk about it with my mother. I do with my with my brother. Now, I uh, did a, a television show yesterday with a woman who's a documentary filmmaker. Her name's Mary Skinner, and um, Mary and I. She uh, did a documentary about uh, her mother, who was at the Warsaw Ghetto, and and who was uh, imprisoned in one of the concentration camps during the war, and. Um, her mother recently died, and I was talking to Mary about it. Her mother was in her 90s, and, and her mother recently died, and she, Mary, was very surprised how strongly she felt about her mother's death. I don't think we—and her mother was in her 90s. I don't think we realize uh, or how it's going to be, particularly if you're close to your parent, having them die. It's, it's rough. Well, first of all, I, that, the, that woman sounds remarkable that she survived all of that and lived to be into her 90s. Right, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so um, humbled by, by, by that story. But, yes, I think no matter how old you are, you're losing your mommy or your daddy. And I think it untethers us. Mm-hmm. Where we don't have, you know, we're untethered. We're, li- we're just, you know, a kite with nobody holding the string. I like that, the thought of the tether. Also, I had a friend who was a therapist, and she said it's like a pendulum. Uh, every day your pendulum swings to these different spots, and all of a sudden one of those spots is empty. Well, absolutely. I have, I, I have a girlfriend, uh, Amy, who lost her father a couple of years ago and just uh, lost her mother a couple of months ago, and she's, she's a parentless child. Mm-hmm. And she's in her forties, right? And yeah. there's, I mean, she has her husband and she has her child, but it's not the same, right? There, there's, there's no one to attach to. Mm-hmm. There's no one to call, right? There are historians too, uh, for one who I've lost yes. both my parents because I'm older and it's a natural process. But it's still, you lose the historian, you lose the person, the people that you knew that would take you in, you know, no matter what. Exactly. No matter what, you lose that kind of unconditional love, and it's it breaks my heart. Like it makes me really sad to know that you know my mother one day is going to pass, and then I'm going to be alone. Well, tell me, what has your dad taught you that's helped you in your life? <laughs> oh, wow! Ah, that's a great question. Um, I think when I was younger, my father taught me and to not take everything so seriously because life is very serious. I can say that sometimes I remember that, other times I do not. I think he taught me, um, he was never too busy to play with us, that there is real great joy in, in the moment. He taught me to play. He, I remember one time, and I talk about it in my book, my, um, my, and it's actually a, a, mem- a distant memory that I have, but one that my Uncle John, who was my father's best friend, had reminded me of. And my Uncle John said that my father and my Uncle John and my Aunt Lynn and my mom were all sitting around the table, and my brother and I were there, and their kids were there. 
and there was a knock, and they were talking about something. It was like after dinner, and they were all very serious adult conversation. And there was a knock at the door, and about, you know, eight little kids, waist high, came out and said, can Mr. Coppola come out and play? And my father turned to <laughs> the adults and said, are we done? Are we done here? I'd like to go out and, you know, play some ball. <laughs> so, like, he went out with the kids and played until you would hear everybody's mother screaming out the window for them to come home when, when night fell. So I learned that about, I, I, I learned that that was important, that, that sense of childlike play. And as I got older and was sent to, to boarding school, um, there was a letter that I actually published in the book that my father wrote to me saying, you know, this is a difficult thing. Your pa- you know, as parents, we don't want you to be gone from us, but this is something you have to stick through. This is something you need to to persevere through. We want what's best for you, and sometimes things that are hard are actually good for you at the end. <laughs> and so I learned how to persevere through something. I learned how to work for what I wanted and not necessarily be goal-oriented, but kind of enjoy the process as I was going through it. I think that's something that my dad did. I don't know that he always knew what was going to happen at the end, but he always seemed to enjoy what he was doing as he was doing it. Yeah, I love that. And then, ultimately, I think he taught me the grace of going and and the grace of being gone, which is why I titled my book, Gracefully Gone. I think he knew when time was up, and I think that he, in his grace and in, and in his dignified manner, he was able to get us through his passing. Ah, what a gift. He was a gentleman, yeah, and he, he was just a true gentleman. Now, if your dad were here today, what would you like to ask him? First of all, if he's proud of me. If I've done what he thought that I would do, have I done it in the way that he would have wished I would have? Um, all his work in raising my brother and I, you know, what, does he see his, his efforts fulfilled? Uh, that's and, beautiful. And I think I would also like to ask him, you know, well, you know what's it like? Are, are you happy? Is it peaceful? Is it, are you hanging out with a really hot blonde with big boobs? Are you enjoying yourself? <laughs> you know? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> I think he is. <laughs> I think he is, too. Is he playing golf? Is he playing basketball? Is he? Do you know that movie, oh, God, with Albert Brooks and Meryl Streep? It's called Defending Your Life. Uh-huh. D- did you ever see this movie? I don't think I did, but tell us. <laughs> okay. Oh, you must. Okay. So I remember seeing it right after my dad passed. And basically the premise of the movie is they're dead. They're both dead. And they get to go up to heaven where there are judges. And they get like kind of like American Idol. And they watch their life pan on a, on a big screen. And they see what they could have done different or maybe what they did right. And they're graded on it. And that's called defending your life. And they, they have to defend their choices. And after they do this during the day, they all kind of get together and they go to this restaurant where they get to eat as much as they want, as much pasta, as much shrimp, as much cake. And they get to eat it and they never gain weight. And all Meryl Streep does after she defends her life is goes and eats bowls and bowls of pasta 
and she gets to hang out with Albert Brooks, and they just laugh. <laughs> I love that. I will definitely have and to get them. Yes, you have to get this book. And I, I mean, I'm sorry, you, you, you have to see this movie. And at the end of it, we find that she was the one who took risks in her life, and he never did. He always played it safe. He always played it close to the chest. And his, what he had to learn in defending his life was that he shouldn't have been so defensive, and he should have just lived the moments that he had. And, and that sounds like it's one of the things you learn from your dad, is to live the moments you have. Live the moments I have. That's one of the things that I've always been very aware of. Sometimes I forget, you know, in life's daily, uh, daily going on, goings on. I think it's easy to forget that very, very important lesson when I've got three kids and I've got to get them to three different schools and make the lunch and get a job and pay the bills. And I think sometimes I often forget just to sit and breathe and remember what what my dad taught me. Right. And remember that when he. One of the biggest lessons that, again, going back to your question, that I learned, if I may, I, is when, he, when I would go in and look at him, and he would look at me, and I would wake him up, you know, or we would go in in the morning, and I would say, I love you, Daddy. He would look at me, and I very much doubt that he was thinking, gee, I should have made that conference, or I should have I made more money. Mm-hmm. I should have been a better person in business. I very much doubt that that's what he was thinking. And I think that, I think he was looking at me and my brother and my mother, and hopefully he was feeling what a success that he was. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And that that was what the important part is. Right. Well, tell us what you're up to with your career, anything. Uh, and uh, I know you've been, uh, t- have you, you've been in the movies and television, right? Yes, I'm, I'm primarily a television actress. Um, I've been incredibly fortunate. I've had series after series. I'm, um, it's really interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to this one thing that I'm about to do, I think. There's a documentary um, on Netflix that's called That Guy Who Was In That Thing, which is about like all those character actors that you see. You know them there. In ev- every night you turn on the television, you can go to every channel, you're going to see one of them on it. Well, they're doing the female version of that girl who was in that thing, which is kind of like what I am. I'm mm-hmm. always, you know, you know that freckled face actress? You know that <laughs> actress? You know, so, and I'm really proud of that. Um, so I've had a really diverse and prolific career, and so I'm going to probably be doing something with them. And um, uh, I was doing Teen Wolf, and we were hoping that that might, you know, be something more, but... I, I don't think it's going to be, which just, again, like my dad taught me, if one window closes, a, a door opens somewhere else, so that'll be something else that probably will be bigger and better for me. Um, and I've been doing a lot of press on the book, which I'm really excited about. And also, I've been involved with Parenthood uh, Today TV, um, uh-huh. which is a website. And every Tuesday uh, comes out a new video, a little mini-series, uh, there were 20 of them that we filmed about me giving advice on parenting. Ah, wonderful. From, yes, yes. Um, and that is uh, www.parenthoodtoday.tv. Great. And every Tuesday a new video comes out, but you can go onto the website and you can see all of them. And it's called the Alicia Coppola Corner. And it's everything from, you know, conception to uh, in vitro, which I did with my second child, to... Um, you know, miscarriages to breastfeeding to naming your kid, dealing with grief, how to deal with, you know, my children 
ask me all the time about their grandfather. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, my four-year-old yesterday, we were snuggling up watching a movie, and she said, tell me again how your dad died. And I said, my father had cancer. And she said, and what is cancer? Which is kind of an interesting thing to have to discuss right. with a four-year-old. And I told her it was a disease. And she said, what is disease? And I said, well, it's a dis-ease within the body. Mm-hmm. Something is not happy in the body. And cells can attack each other. And she said, ah, oh, okay. And how did our dog die? And I said, he had cancer, too. Uh, and how did my, you know, and she was going down the list of how things can die. Right, right. Well, listen, thank you for being on the show today, and thank you for all the things that you're doing. I know you have your own website, too. I mean, that website, but you also have another one, right? I have my Facebook page, okay. um, which everybody can please follow me on, and also Twitter, which is uh, Alicia underscore Coppola, and I'm pretty good at responding to all of my tweets. Um and I'm just really excited to have been on with you today. I think it's, I'm just so grateful and, and flattered that, that you were interested in me and my book, Gracefully Gone, which is available at Amazon.com. Great. Well, thank you so much, Alicia, for being on the show today. And Thank thanks. you. Thank you. And I look forward to coming to do your TV show. Oh, great. All right. Yeah, thank you. Have thank a good day. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to our show today. And please tune in again next week by going to our website, Open to Hope. You'll find it there and on Voice America. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley. Have a good day. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.